Hello and welcome to Southside Church Podcast. For information about our church located in Cape Town, South Africa, go and check out our website, southsidechurch.co.za. We trust that the message would inspire you today. I don't think today is going to be one of those days where you have that little one-liner you take with you and you apply it to many areas of your life, but we're going to be speaking more foundationally tonight about the underpinning of Christianity. And so I'm really, really excited. So let's just get stuck straight in. Matthew 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. What do we do when we feel like we're losing the faith? Or we're not keeping up with enough church stuff to be a good Christian? Have you guys ever had this happen before? Sometimes you meet a new group of people and you'd rather just not tell them you're Christian. <laughs> it's easier that way. You know what I mean? Like, I don't need everyone judging me, you know? You've had that, just me, just me. It's okay, you can look to the person to the left and the right, don't worry about it. When you feel like you need God the most and your prayers are bouncing off the wall, like God is the most silent. I recently, um, I've conducted a number of weddings and I got to marry one of my very close mates and um, he's a big guy, um, he's a 6'3", and inherited a bunch of money. That's relevant. I'll tell you why now. And he's got a lot going for him. He's got a lot going for him. He's marrying the most beautiful woman. They're both Christians. They love God a lot. And he got up and he did his vows. And I wasn't expecting it. Um, But he just got up there and he just said, I am a filthy sinner saved by God's grace. By grace and by grace alone. I was like, this is not the place to talk about your sins. We talk about nice things. 1 Corinthians 13, the love verse, that's what you go off. And so it's only when really coming into this message and putting it together, I, I really, I, I just got reminded of him. And so I wanted to share that with you today. I still wouldn't recommend doing that. It did set a weird vibe in the wedding. (laughs) No, I don't think he minds. Let's let's look at Matthew 5, verse 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I like that one. Ron, could I do that one in a couple of ways? I'm down. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Hey, isn't that beautiful? Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We want to focus on blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. In order to properly understand this verse, we need to rewind a little bit. In fact, we need to rewind a lot. I need to pull this back 2,000 years. At the time this was written, it was about kings, rulers, servants, slaves. You were either conquering or about to be conquered. The reason why we all speak English, well, a lot of us in in the modern world, is because the British were the last major superpower. Then it was, before then it was the French, 
We could have all been speaking French, people. <laughs> and then before that, it was the Romans were the biggest, then the Ottomans, the Mamelukes. We could go on. Power was switching like this. There were fights. There were wars. It was about kings and rulers and servants and slaves. That's when this was written. Salvation hasn't changed. It is still very much about king and servant. Yes, the Bible has progressed. Yes, God can speak to you through your cell phone, through a Netflix series, through technology of all sorts and ways and means and methods. Heck, my grand had a massive revelation about Jesus Christ during the mock uh, theatrical Jesus Christ Superstar. I mean, it's mocking Jesus, and she had this revelation that, did God really do that? God can speak in many ways, and I'm not here, going, I'm not here confining God, but I'm saying the one thing that hasn't changed is the language of salvation. It's very much king and servant. You wonder why today you look at all these churches, just down the road, there's a church called King of Kings. Christians are always using this word king and servant and Jesus being the highest king and the greatest servant and all these Christian albums speak about kings and it's still very much a part of the system today. Always, um, for many years, I was a youth pastor and people say, oh, Jesus is my home dog. I'm like, cool, he's your home dog. But before that, he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Get that straight. Then he can be your home dog. Matthew 5 verse 5 is describing submission. This verse encapsulates submission. We need to, as Christians, acknowledge that Jesus is our king if we are to inherit God's kingdom. Now, I'm not talking about being Christian. You know, you look at people's Facebook statuses, it's like religion, Christian. I'm talking about fully giving your life over to Jesus Christ. When, as I said that, I just felt this like a wave of like, oh, I'm not doing a good enough job. Don't worry. It's a decision. It's a journey. In theology, it's called glorification, if you want to research it further. It's a decision you make to say, I'm not perfect. I don't have it together. Sometimes I want to murder my kids. But, and as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Hey, we're having family time now. We can talk, okay? John understood this. John 3 verse 30, he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Philippians 3 verse 8, and cheapest, this could be a whole sermon on itself. Yes, this is Paul speaking. Yes, everything is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I discard everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ. We've got two very different verses there. We've got John, who's like feral, like the oak has not got much to him. Then we have Paul, member of the Sanhedrin, Pharisee, the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the seventh day. He literally goes on and on talking about his credentials. 
We have the strong, we have the weak, both submitting to the Lordship of Jesus. In this world we live in, when we let something go of value, very often we can lose it. Sometimes it can return damaged, broken, marred, destroyed, stolen. Anyone given their heart to someone and it's come back absolutely broken? You know what I'm talking about. But we have to remember one of the kingdom principles. You're listening. You cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive God. Grant spoke about it right now. The lady kept on bringing the vases and the oil kept flowing. I love this quote. Faith is giving everything to God and receiving everything from Him. When you give your life to God, you get it back like you've never had it before. The Bible says, when you give your life to God, it comes down, pressed down, shaking together and overflowing. The blessing in your life becomes so contagious, it becomes so overwhelming that it starts to pour out on other people. People are like, what is it about that person? What is it that's so different about them? There's something about them. People want to hang out around you. People find you contagious because it's this thing. You've given it to God. It's gone. But yet it comes back and it comes back, but you keep on giving it out, but it keeps on coming back. This is the kingdom principle. God is wanting to pour life onto you like you've never had it before, but the, it's the measure to which you give him your life. It's a, bit of a, it's a bit of a warp, hey? Especially when you live in this world where everyone's holding tight. Hey, I don't blame you. COVID was rough, like super rough. I mean, but you gotta stop and we gotta evaluate the world. Look at what, do you, like you wanna see how broken the world is? Go open the latest Cosmopolitan. Go look at the advice they're giving to women. Like, and the men's health is like not much better. The world is encouraging a whole way of living that is not producing a good fruit. It's a very broken methodology to live by. It's incredibly selfish and has a huge yield of destruction. God says to me, give me your life. See, it says in Psalms, test and see that I'm good. See, Deuteronomy, I could do this all day. Deuteronomy, I place before you blessings and curses, life and death. Now I say unto thee, choose life that it may go well with you. Don't test your God. Well, I'm not saying that. God said, test me and see that I am good to you. So, has anyone read The Purpose Driven Life? I've got this guy here. This one's actually been with me for a little while. I've got a big sign in the front here, Dan's copy, don't give away. <laughs> uh, I, I've, I've given away a whole pile of them when Meg and I got married. We gave, yeah, they just, if you haven't read it, highly recommend it. Um, I really, as someone who's starting out in Christianity, I recommend the Bible and the purpose of life just to get your comfort straight. Off you go, cheers, mate. I'll meet up for coffee, discuss the hard things later. Really, outstanding book. The, 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 the minister you wrote it, Wick Warren, most beautiful, just got a stunning, stunning soul. I can't rec- I highly, I, just get, read the book. This book has sold 50 
million copies. It was on the New York Times bestseller for 10 weeks. Translated into 85 languages. Look, I think there's something, when things start going that big, there's an anointing on that. It's changing people's lives. People are recommending it. So you pick it up, and you open it up, and you go to the first chapter. Right there. It's not about you. Full stop. Next line. Jeez, how's that for just uh, putting you straight? It's never been about you. It's always been about Jesus. There's nothing you can offer to God but yourself. Have you heard that song, I Offer Devotion? That's all you've got to offer. Some people come and they're like, oh, but you know, I've got other things to offer God. I'm a talented preacher, or I can do this, or I'm wealthy, and I can... You know what the Bible says in Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 64, verse 6? It says your good works are like filthy rags when you try to bring them to the altar as an offering as to why you deserve that. Filthy rags. Let me go back a step into the Greek. It means menstrual rag. That is significant in the Jewish culture because you used to get pushed out of the city. God is like, I cannot even have you in my midst if you try to justify why I should give you this. You need to get onto your knees and accept me as your Lord and your King. Salvation will come to your house. It's like this hard entry, but then sweet, sweet waters after that. You come, the strong, the weak, we all kneel before the Lord. Once attended a church, they had this big sign at the door, and it said, no perfect people allowed. I thought that was a cool one, hey? I'd like to rewind this back even further. I want to show you how this, the whole of Christianity, where it hinged pinned, where it's, where it's rooted, where it started, where this whole thing began. And it's an agreement known as the Vassal Suzerain Agreement, also known as the Abrahamic Covenant, found in Genesis 15. I'm not going to read it for you because it's a long verse, but. If you guys want to go, go check it out later. It's really, really interesting. For those of you who might not know, the Christian faith comes actually from the Jewish faith. We are not at arms with the Jews. We are very much friends. We should always be that way. Paul even says, Gentiles, stop being so cocky. You come from the Jews. Stop fighting with them. We are grafted in to the tree. That's the exact terminology, grafted in to the tree. And we know that the Jewish faith stems from Abraham. So, it's really, really important to understand that what happens with Abraham directly affects us. We are children of Abraham. Anyone who accepts Jesus into their life falls under that covenant. And so, back in the days of kings and rulers, we had this agreement that used to sometimes take place. When a really powerful king would come to a much smaller kingdom, and the king would say, listen... You don't stand a chance if we go to war. You will get annihilated and everyone will die. Let's do this. You submit to me. I will place upon you certain taxes and, and, but, and all these sorts of things. And, but if you ever need help, I'm right there. 
You can continue running your kingdom the way you like, but you'll always have me giving you trade, giving you all sorts of things, and you'll have a massive army should anything ever happen. You'll be part of my kingdom. And this was called the vassal-suzerain agreement, the powerful king being the vassal and the lesser king being the suzerain. And what would happen, these kings would enter into this agreement. All found in Genesis 15. You're welcome to pick up your Bible and have a squiz. And it was a really intense agreement, guys. So what would happen is, if anyone were to break this, by law, that, that party got killed. So even if it was the powerful king, everyone know if you broke it, you're done. If it's the lesser king, you're done. You didn't break it. So what would happen is, they would prepare an aisle. And what they would do is they would take a certain number of animals, sheep, um, so lamb, I think if you like poor, you can use a pigeon. Genesis 15 will tell you all about it. And they would cut these animals in half and they would put the sides on, on either side of the aisle. It's a bit gross, I know. And what they would do is they would hold each other's hands and they would walk in down the aisle with the blood shed across the aisle. And when they got to the other side, the agreement was valid. And it could only be broken through death. So the parties, if they got old and they died, and one of them died, the agreement could be renewed, but that was, that was it. So God says, Abraham, I want to make a deal with you. Would you enter into a covenant with me? So Abraham goes, oh, she's okay, and starts to prepare the altar. And he prepares it all, and God says, okay, are we ready? He says, yes, I, I am ready, let's go. And it says here, as they were about to walk down the aisle, verse 12, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and God passed down the aisle by himself. Did you see what happened there? God knew that none of us could meet that mark, that Abraham and none of his descendants would be able to keep that treaty. Why? Our hearts, they wonder that we put God first, God moves off, we put something else in, and then we put God, like we are all over the place. God knew that the standard of heaven is absolute perfection and that we could never keep it. So he put Abraham to sleep and walked down the aisle by himself to make a covenant with himself to him that he would protect us, love us, no matter what we do. You cannot exit the deal because it was never involving you. You are so deeply loved and highly favored. God knew that he would send Jesus as the payment. And Jesus and God walked down that aisle ultimately. He said, don't worry, I will provide a lamb for the sacrifice. Now, I'm getting goosebumps, but now when, you, when God looks down on earth, he doesn't see you. He sees Jesus in you. You are covered by the blood. You are a new creation. Blessed are the meek. When you understand this, that no matter who you are, Jesus paid the price. You accept that. The kingdom of yours is the kingdom of God is yours. It's yours. You get it. It's yours. You can't add to it. You can't take away from it. You could turn your back here today and walk and set out to get as far as you away, away from Jesus as you could. You would never have left him. David says, Where can I go? The valleys, the mountains, you are always with me. 100 percent 
You've got a God who is passionately in love with you. He's making deals to himself, for himself, on your behalf. All you have to do is just invite him into your heart and say, Lord, I surrender. Guys, when you say, Lord, I surrender, heaven shakes. Heaven moves. Things start to be placed in motion. Not only that, when you start living a bit more humbly, become a better person, better husband, more patient father. When we live a life of surrender to God, things start falling in, falling in place. Hey, is it easy? No, it's not. I want to talk about this one thing. This is us. Before Adam and Eve in the garden, we had this wonderful connection with God. It says that God and Abraham, God and Adam used to walk around the garden naming the animals. Sin entered, the, sin entered the equation. And all of a sudden, we had this beautiful connection with God. It was blocked. And we, we couldn't get through. And we had this sin sitting on top of us. So we, 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 we tried to make ways around it. And we spoke to God. And there was a thing called the escape goat. I'm sure you've heard that term. The whole city, this goat would come through the city. And everyone would touch it and put their sins on it. And the goat would be sent to slaughter. Then they used to take that blood that they slaughtered the lamb with at the, at the, at the altar in, in the thorn thistle. Interesting, thorn. Where did we last see that? Jesus' crowns. Thorn thistle used to come out to all the people that had touched the lamb. And they used to sprinkle it like this. And the blood would hit them. The blood of the lamb would hit them. And they knew their sins were atoned for. And Jesus says, God says, I'm coming to send the final lamb coming to send the final lamb. He was sending heaven's best in our place. You want to know what meek is? Heaven's strongest, heaven's best coming down and washing the feet of the sinners that he's yet to die for. What did he do but heal, help people, care for people, and we put him on a cross? You want to know meek? Look at our king. Final sacrifice of all. Jesus came and said, hey, I've got this connection with God. I love you guys so much. I'll take your sin. I'll take your sin. And we are left here. It says when Jesus was on the cross, God could not look at him. It says God turned his face on his own son. Why? Because he had sin. And the, and, and the, and the standard of heaven is perfection. God couldn't look at his own son. But he saw us. He saw us, and Jesus died, and we were left here. This is where you stand, whether you choose to accept it or not. You are free. The Bible says, let the, let the redeemed say so. Like, we are free. Whether you choose to accept that or not, it's a gift you have to accept, but you are still free. As you are in your chair this very moment this is now this is happening now 
Not the better future version of yourself that's managed to clean up his act a little bit. Not the previous version of yourself that maybe was super spiritual. As you sit right now and breathe this breath, you are worthy. You have a God that years ago made a covenant with himself for you. He was thinking about you. He knew how badly you needed this. You want to come to the altar with your gifts of how you deserve? You don't deserve anything. You open your hands. You open your heart. You say, Father, here I am. Search me, God, like David said. David's a beautiful soul. He says, here I am. Take me if you want me. Everything changed. Stop working so hard. Rest in it.